thanks for tuning into Power Athlete Radio. Bert Soren has amassed more stories about strength and conditioning than almost anyone else you know. He has also cooked more potatoes at one time, which in and of itself is a great story. So join us as we welcome him back for his third go-round with Power Athlete Radio. Not only will you be regaled with tales of arm wrestling, feats of strength, shit-talking about Tom Brady and Bill Belichick, but you'll also hear about the latest and greatest coming out of Soranex. So, if cutting-edge strength equipment is your muse, prepare to go from 6 to midnight. This is episode 224. Nation, what's happening? You got Luke here. We have John. Hi, John. What's happening? And then you have Tex, Christopher, Miller, McQuilkin. What's happening? And this is another episode of the premier podcast in strength and conditioning. 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 That yeah. last fucking one that we did, so I went back and listened uh, to it. I'm I don't just, know. I'm just more over <laughs> the fact that... Tech, or text said, what's happening? I really can't. Well, well, Luke usually says, what's up? And then John says, what's happening? But then Luke said, what's happening? Then John said, what's happening? And then you went with, what's up? No, I went with, what's happening? Oh. Enough of this banter. People, we have, I think this gentleman is the only person to have a trifecta on Power Athlete Radio. This is his third time on PA Radio. Mr. Bert Soren. Of Soren X Exercise Equipment, everybody. Bert, what's up, man? What's happening? See, I'm with you now. Ooh. <laughs> Ooh. So, what's up, guys? Thanks well, for having me. You know it, bro. Listen, people, after you listen to this and have a blasty blast, it's going to be like a party in your eardrums. Go back 156, 192. Those are Bert's previous episode numbers 156 Luke, and 192. I just got a quick question. What was wrong with uh, 223? The intro was just, I don't know, man. We were like... Kind of lackluster? Well, we just kind of... It didn't it didn't feel real, you know? And if you don't know what we're talking about, go listen to our intro from the previous episode. And you, it, I guarantee people listen to it and just like, oh, God. Well, you, <laughs> I just thought whenever we had a bad intro, Kelly just uh, uh, cut us out and just basically put like... Um, meow, 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 <laughs> Just cats meow, meow, fucking yeah, playing. Just, yeah, just cats playing, saying meow mix. Maybe. That's a smart anti-sell yeah. for the intro, though. Yeah. Uh, it yeah. was really terrible, but go back and listen to it. Yeah, go back and listen to it, and all it is is meow, 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 meow. Well, th- what triggers Bert being on the show today, one, fucking good pals. Two, uh, Bert is going to be one of the speakers at this year's Power Athlete Symposium. What? What's three? New Power Athlete HQ gym. Uh, oh, yeah. and shit, yeah, is, uh, is basically our equipment dealer. Like, he slings us, like, you know, hard goods to go lift around, throw around, and try and break. You I know? think some people have like a crack dealers. Other people have snap on dealers uh-huh. because those are like crack dealers. And uh-huh. then we are, uh, we got the Sornex dealers. There we go. He, he gives us our equipment fix. So uh, people that is December 8th, 9th and 10th, three day speaker event. Bert's going to be there. Uh, Bert, you bringing any of the crew with you? Uh, I think we're going to have probably one or two more of us coming because it's, it's basically looking at your lineup is kind of the, the Jedi, uh, the Jedi uh, consortium there. That's it's, pretty fired up about who you guys brought in obviously you guys too get to chill down there in, in texas so it's it's high up on the list of things coming up i appreciate y'all having us oh no it's gonna be great man so i think tex wanted to lead this off with a question right sure. you want to bring that question out earlier or you want to save it for later which who, question is that who can throw the shot further oh oh i i just saw i can't remember if it was you or double a and you posted like i used to compete against this man but now we're we're, we're pals, we're, we're co-workers. I think it was Double H throwing some appreciation to Sorenex and, and you reaching right. out to have him on. So y'all used to compete against each other. 
I'm curious who won that bout. All right. Well, Double A and I see Double A was the uh, how old is Double A? Sh- how, how old is Forty one, maybe forty, maybe he's forty two right now. He's a year older than me. Okay, because you and I are the same age, and so right. I think he's older than 40. us. But uh, yeah, I always thought Double A was in his late forties, early fifties. So I just wondered because he's so like, wise, or is no hair. Well, or? I just think it's a lack of hair, kind of. Well, know, it's head to shoulder him, ratio. Well, it kind of, <laughs> there was that one picture where I thought somebody photoshopped him to look like Beetlejuice. And when I realized that it hadn't been photoshopped and uh, he, he was just that massive. And the, the best part is I commented on it. And then immediately within less than three seconds, who, who chimes in and tries to fucking defend him? No. You don't know? No. Big Ed. All I was saying it had to be Ed Costner. I was, like, I was like, Big Ed Costner <laughs> dives in on there on like the double wide, this and that. And I was like, because, you know, Big Ed has got a competition to try to be the widest human being out there. Mm-hmm. And so the fact that there was a wide conversation happening without Ed Costner involved instantly, like it was like, but not even within three seconds, like, dude, I saw it and was like, oh, my God, Ed Costner must have been on this reading this when it came up and thought, fuck, you know what? I'm in on this conversation. Uh, 100% it had to be Ed Costner. And, and if you've seen the picture of uh, Double A doing like the the double most muscular, he looks a lot like, with that giant arm, he looks a lot like uh, like a fiddler crab as they come like this and they have the big <laughs> arm. <laughs> it's awesome. Well, don't, go back don't the crabs usually have one massive arm? Like like one big, yeah. huge claw? Yeah, he's like, he's like Pops because Pops still has like a 20-inch arm on his right side because he's torn his bicep off on the left. It's like 18. But we call it the crab arm, and there's he always has this like at 67 years old this freaking giant peak on his bicep, which is just hilarious. But it's the crab arm, you'll you'll see it in all kinds of pictures. It's great. You know, uh, uh, one of the other speakers we're having, um, uh, Dr. Tom Inkledon, is going to be there, and uh, Inky is uh, knows your father for oh I guess he I don't know if you know Tom, human performance specialist. Tom used to be a, a strongman, and so he knows he- your father. And he actually, some I forgot it was at the Arnold or some event he was at, and uh, he was talking with your dad, and he had heard a rumor that the only thing that offends your father is if you call him, um, you know, refer to him as alternate lifestyle or potentially liking men instead of women. And so Inky <laughs> took the opportunity to uh, ask him this and kind of get into like, you know, kind of razz him a little bit. And he said, at which point I think uh, uh, he said, uh, uh, Mr. Soren shook his hand and uh, almost fucking crushed Inky's hand. He's like, he's like the dude could do this like Captain Crush thing. And he said he got a Tom and Tom pretty strong dude. Like he said, he like goes to grab his hand and he says he fucking squeezes it. And Tom said he almost fucking broke my hand into like a hundred pieces. And uh, cause he wanted the strongest Sornex handshake possible. And so he knew that if he got into Bert's or uh, um, uh, Pops' skin, it would, it would happen. That's so, so inky, dude. Uh, That's so, so Dr. Tom. So when I was telling him, I was like, oh, yeah, we got all this bitch in Sornix equipment. He's like, oh, Sornix, uh, let me tell you about this story. And then he's telling me how, uh, how Pops fucking almost shattered his hand. So then when I, uh, I told him, you know, Bert was speaking, he's like, oh, uh, is old man Sornix going to be a uh, Soren? Gonna be? I'm like, what? Old man Soren. Yeah, he, uh, <laughs> which is so funny. And then he's, uh, I was like, uh, maybe. He's like, oh, well, if he's there, I'd like to shake his hand again. You know, like totally <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a funny story from the 80s um, where Pops was at a, uh, a we were at a, like a picnic barbecue and the girl he was dating at the time, her brother was, uh, I don't know if it was like national level, world level, whatever, but he's very, very high level arm wrestler. And so he kind of, you know, when you get new to the family, hanging out, whatever, and he was kind of put nudging dad a little bit. His dad was kind of big, especially for the 80s. And he was like, yeah, well, let's arm wrestle, let's arm wrestle. And dad's not an arm wrestler by any means. And, um, so they get, you know, of course it happens eventually. 
and they get on the picnic table and they start, you know, going at it. And I guess this other fella knew obviously arm wrestling tricks, you know, leverages and angles. Cause there's more to it than just having a strong arm. So he'd like wrapped his leg around the inside of the table and was like using the hip and the torso and pulling over. And so pops figured this out pretty quickly because the guy wasn't very big. And he's like, there's no way this guy's beating me. And so as he's kind of going down, pops just said, screw it and just squeeze his hand really hard and shot blood out from all of underneath his fingernails. Oh, wow. <laughs> it was done. <laughs> yeah. And so, <laughs> so he's like, yeah, I was pretty mad. And, but it tore his arm up enough where he had uh, like a tennis elbow brace on his arm for almost a year. Five. And so he's like, yeah, at that point he's like, that's like 85. He's like, I've never arm wrestled since. It's like a squeeze the shit out of the dude's hands, his fingernails bled. And that was it. Your dad has a is reputed as having one of the strongest grips. He's one of the first guys to ever put the Captain Crush like littlest one together, right? Like the two. Yeah, he's he is he's the first person ever to close the number three. Yeah. So yeah. yeah. So yeah. And, and he and at one point he was the last as well as the oldest. So he qualified before they even had a certification back in ninety two or ninety ninety one ninety two ninety three somewhere there. He had done it a few years before, but that was when it was still thought to be an like an impossible feat. Um, so it was kind of as a Excalibur of sorts. They were like, well, it's not even doable. So he did it and there got, and actually Randy Strosser was like, holy crap. Like, I didn't think this was actually a thing. And we was was kind of a joke. So we did some verification. And then in 2005, when he was 57, uh, when they actually had certifications and a lot of the young bucks were saying, you know, you know, Richard was the first, but you know, could he still do it? Blah, blah, blah. So he got pissed off and trained up and was able to recertify at, at 57. So at one point he was the first, the last and the oldest. So it was, oh, wow. <laughs> well, when, when we were at Sornix for uh, summer strong, uh, your dad spotted us as we were like trying to like fuck around with the anvils and try to grab the horns. <laughs> and so we were trying to run the gamut and I ended up getting, I think it was like the 174 with both hands. And then off, off there were those big mutants. That's a dudes. big anvil. I saw that. That's, that's, that's legit. And then there was like the, the big dude, that big black cat who was, I think he was a, uh, Tex. Uh, uh, yeah. And then, and then that other guy that looked like, uh, with the something company, big lurch looking dude. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, um, Dave Osland. Yeah. They're from a um, supplement deal uh, company. Yeah. So, so they spotted up since so we're the three of us are trying to get it. And, uh, of course, like, you know, if your hand's massive enough, you can get it around it. And then, so pops came over, he saw us doing it and he wanted to jump in. And then he was like, at that point he was like, Hey, come try this. And that was his, uh, that bicep <laughs> curl machine. So like, uh, we started loading up plates and he was like, I think it was the full stack. And uh, I got seriously, like, I, I, I couldn't close it. And I was like looking at him thinking to myself, I'm going to rip my biceps. And of course the big black <laughs> dude, that uh, big text guy just goes and like crushes it. And your dad's like. It's a strong dude. Nobody's been able to do that. That's the first one. And he's like, really? He's like, yeah, that's yeah. fucking legit. He's like, nobody's yeah. been able to do it. So it was, it was cool that we got to fuck around and do some fun stuff. Yeah, Tex is super strong. He was a 1,024 squatter, uh, 800 dead. Um, and he was the first person actually to close the three and a half. So he was the first certified three and a half closer. So he's he's uh, and the first person ever to lift the circus dumbbell uh yeah i don't feel bad about uh him yeah. beating me with some stuff i was like <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah like like when he showed me up on that and like uh he, he got the 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 174 and a half and then he i don't think he could get like the next one up i think it was like 198 or 200 so uh but right. we are i'm in the hunt i'm supposed to go look at an anvil this weekend i've been in the hunt cool. dude. Every, every time I, uh, I i get a beat on one it somebody buys it i think really? what happened is yeah there's uh there's a, a show on discovery right now about blacksmithing and knife making 
Like it's some uh, deal. It's kind of, so all these people are. Yeah. So it, I, I, it's called like blacksmithing and these guys are making knives and I think it's called the forge or whatever. And like all of a sudden that show came out and it's renewed people's desire to actually use them and not like we're going to use them as like feats of strength to try to like, you know, can you lift this to get in the door type of thing. But uh, yes, yeah, so all of a but sudden. But it would be cool. Don't worry. I'll find them. I'll find them. <laughs> so so what, are they going, what are they going by uh, per pound right now? Um, Is they uh, really expensive right now? Yeah, they're over. Uh, I mean, normally it should be about three to five bucks a pound. I would expect, hmm. uh, but they're. I think they're going for more than that. So I, I really yeah. wow. Yeah, wow. I mean, uh, the the most hilarious part was uh, we went over and hung out at Jesse James' place, and as we were walking out of his garage, he had two. Uh, or sorry, he had three three hundred fifty pound uh, anvils from the eighteen hundreds just sitting under a tree under like the the leaves, and I was like, oh. So now next time yeah. I go over there, I want to try to be like, what can we barter for these things? I need these. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what they're, I'm going to use them for, but you remember those big ass anvils we saw? Yeah. There was light enough one. We picked one up, but then there was two massive ones. Yeah. So, right. That yeah. big one in our shop is a 441. That, that big one up on the, yeah. up on the thing, but pops has had that one for forever. But yeah, he, he's always been kind of ahead of the curve to like collecting cool stuff like that. I mean, he has probably 20, 25 anvils in the collection, but he hasn't purchased one in over a decade, but he's always been in them. And, you know, I, I got to uh, enjoy moving those things around my entire life. You know, I'm, I'm like, I'm 15 years old. I'm like, dad, why do we go to the storage room? And I got to move like 10 handles. <laughs> this is literally cartoonish. Well, like, do you have a piano in here too? And, you know, I went to look at two of them and um, the thing, which is, is kind of interesting. The ones you guys, all the horns you guys have are kind of like uh, actually manageable to grab you know, with a big hand, the two that mm-hmm. I looked at, the the horns were maybe six inches and they were real fat. Like really? Was, yeah, they were oh short yeah. Horns. Like a steep angle. Yeah. And so like I, I went, you know, and the guy's like, what do you think? I'm like, so I put it on the ground and I'm trying to grab it and I can't grip it. And he's like, you know, the guy was like, what the fuck are you like, like trying to like kind of confuse, like, why are you doing this? And I'm like, oh, we're not trying to do them for any metal smithing. I'm trying to do them from a test of strength. And like, if I got a big <laughs> hand, if I can't get my hand around the horn, very few other people are. And the sure. dude was like huh? <laughs> and I was like, I'm good. And so then I walked away, but I got a couple more. I, I got one. I'm supposed to go look at this weekend if I can. So cool. I guess, I guess for our listeners who haven't had the pleasure of, you know, heading to Sornex HQ, the new headquarters, uh, we were there for summer strong a few months ago. And as you walk through this, the double doors right into this facility, which is a, like almost like a sh- equipment showroom. Right. And just really a bitch and gym. There's just a, an epic footprint of just, strong man and weightlifting and powerlifting history in there. And that's what John's talking about is you walk in and you're, you're immediately immersed by like just so much history and these, these crazy grip devices and, you know, childhood barbell setups. And dude, it's, it's just amazing. And that's one thing that we talked about is like, how forward thinking did pops have to be to be like, no, we're hanging on to this shit, you know? Well, well the, uh, the other thing too is, um, and we, we discussed this uh, when Tex and I went out for their first time, is uh, these were all tests of strength, like feats of strength for actual physical labor. Like, for example, like the anvils, uh, to be able to pick and move the anvils up by with one hand off of the horn was like a test of strength for these guys. And then, uh, you know, you go through and all the pieces and like, while all that stuff is eye candy and people can look at it, it, it was all the stuff you didn't notice at Summerstrong that actually blew my mind. Like, I don't know if you guys saw mm. the furniture that they had what taken a, taken that farmhouse apart and had kept yeah. all this oh, yeah. wood yeah. and then had gone and made all their furniture from all this like reclaimed farmhouse stuff that was so epic. Or my other personal favorite, in which I'm still sick of jealousy, and I don't get jealous ever because I usually <laughs> like, 
I'm usually happy for people, but it's really been the only first time in my life where uh, I thought to myself, <laughs> fuck these guys. Was, <laughs> these uh, guys suck. Uh, the stainless steel barbecues. Oh yeah, that doesn't count. You love those, I, huh? Dude, I, I like no, John. That that's not a, that doesn't dude. count. That's <laughs> it. Just can't, dude. I I, I seriously like of all like uh, you guys have a bitch and fab shop. Like the fact that you guys could cook four hundred <laughs> potatoes in your fucking powder coat room. Like la di da. Like the fact that you guys have like a hundred fucking Miller two fifty two welders. Like I'm I'm okay with all this shit. Like the the laser cutting everything. The fact that those fucking guys TIG welded all of that stainless barbecue. And uh, like I have pictures and like I try to show them. I'm like, dude, look at this. People are like, huh? The fact that they um, they got sheets of stainless, they put them into the CAD, drew them out, then had them laser cut and then assembled them. Two guys worked like what for weeks to assemble this weeks thing. and weeks i mean it I mean, was like probably six weeks on the first prototype that's now a trailer and then those just so, yeah. the amount of tig welding and anybody here that's ever tig weld knows how slow it can be and even like the best dudes just it's slow methodical work so they tig weld all this stuff i mean there's like rivets and pops i mean it's it was so epic and then to see it like i walked out and he's like oh look i'm like oh whoa 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 like the barbecue stuff to me uh like i i would build my backyard around those barbecues People, people like, oh, you got a great backyard. You're like, have you seen my barbecues? They're stainless. They're now, John, today. would you would you request to be buried, cremated, and buried in that barbecue? Uh, as I'd, well? like to, I'd like to be cremated in there. Um, but uh, it's, in terms of being ever buried somewhere, I don't know if I ever told you this. I have this tremendous fear of the thought of rotting in a place forever. So, like, I want my ashes basically like hmm. put into the ocean. Folgers coffee can. So let me just per, per, preferably what if we just, like a big ship, like a barge that we set on fire in the middle of the ocean. That's what with arrows, Viking yeah, with arrows. style. I have yeah, a Viking. different nice. different approach. What if we put you and the grill in a huge cryo chamber and cryogenically freeze you for when we can cure whatever ailment took you down. No, 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 I'm good on There's that. There's not really a bear and, fight. Isn't really an ailment. Well, it's I thought like, it would be all, just a happening. really sandy and vagina. I'll, I'll <laughs> <laughs> can you die from that? Cause if you would, you would have already died, Luke. Uh, you just volley back my insult. <laughs> right. So, uh, but the, this is the weird thing. Like I always think about people whenever like Callie and I would get in this conversation about living forever. And I'm like, part of living is appreciating the time you're in and having people around you. Like the worst part of when you see these people that were like centurions living for a long thing, whenever you ask them the question, like, Oh, is it? They're always like, everybody I know is dead. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like they always talk about, I don't know if you guys ever read this, but they talk about everybody has two deaths. Obviously your physical death when your body dies and then when the last person who knows you and remembers you and thinks about you passes away, that's your second death. Then you basically are wiped off the face of the planet. Wow. So like everybody that kind of knew you where they thought, oh, hey, you know, I should call Bird. He's not here anymore. Or, you know, like something where you're forgotten. So everybody has right. two deaths. What if you die twice to come back to realize that nobody remembers you? None of your family's ever heard of you and you're just a fucking, you know, like sheet in the, you know, ghost in the wind type of deal. And like to me, that's like, Fuck that, dude. We have our time. You do the best. You go on. And um, I don't want to come back. So don't freeze me and bring me back. Okay. So the freezing. <laughs> freeze and bring him back. Quinking. Quink, wink. So Cal- the freezing. Callie, on the other hand, uh, wanted to have her head removed. So, okay. Sorry. Sorry. I went off on my tangent. That as happens. That's but, uh, dude, those fucking barbecues to this day, like, were by far the most single impressive thing. Like, um, I, yeah. I mean, everything else you guys have there, dude. Like, I was blown away with all the barn wood and all, like, the the pieces of equipment that you guys have collected, but like the attention to detail on those barbecues, is like nothing I've ever seen. Well, thanks man. Let's, let's clear out a spot at, at a uh, power athlete HQ. And uh, I don't worry. I would build a, I, I, I would pour concrete and build like a platform at which we could build it on. And then people, and then we'd probably have lights on at 24 hours. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. And like standing guard. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we would make our minions stand around and be like, don't let me fucking touch the barbecue. Like the tomb of the last soldier. 
Ooh. Just someone's we, always there. Ooh. Oh, nice. We we did cook uh, final final uh, uh, numbers. We cooked seventeen hundred fifty pounds of meat that weekend at Summer Strong. Holy shit! And here was Holy the best part. Shit. It yeah. wasn't like like dudes were over there like working jockeying, but it was totally doable. Like the fact, like when your forklift came out with like hundreds of potatoes and I was like, <laughs> where they cook them? And I, I, I think it was Johnny was like, Oh, we cooked them in the powder coat room. I'm like, God damn it. That's so fucking smart. They used their powder coat room to cook 400 potatoes and they brought it out on a forklift. It's fucking great. I'll tell you, I yeah, was impressed. We oh, got sorry. a kick out of that one. Actually, <laughs> everyone pretty much laughed. We it did it the week before in the shop just to make sure it worked. Well, and it was perfect because the powder coat cooks at like what three fifty five, four fifty, like somewhere. Or four, it could go up to four seventy five. So yeah, we got it nailed, and then it's yeah. How else are you going to cook 400, 500 potatoes at a time? Uh, a large room that's used for baking powder coat. Like, <laughs> yeah, there you go. Duh. Yeah. Just think of the possibilities here. Like you could put a like how many prime ribs could you throw in there? All of them. Um, yeah, I, like I will take all your prime ribs, please. The whole cow. Okay, I I was thinking about something, and like this is something that you guys could totally do. But have you ever seen like on um like big like the big big pipe fitter uh, end caps? Like they have mm-hmm. those forty eight inch like huge pipes. Uh, the end caps are perfectly rounded. I was thinking of like getting one of those and basically welding legs on and almost making like a uh, uh, like a fire pit out of that, or even like sinking into the ground and pouring like a bowl of concrete so you could sit it. And I was yep. thinking like something like that would have been, uh, you know, you guys were serving drinks, so you don't want anybody to set themselves on fire, but like potentially for one day, if you were thinking about it, but like those, um, and my neighbor had a huge, like 42 inch end cap and I'm like, what the fuck are you doing with that? He's like, oh, I, I brought it home for some reason. I don't know what I was going to do with it. I was like, that's like a perfect fucking, uh, fire pit. You can make, we actually have a 36 inch one on wheels. That's like a little grill. Yep. 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 It works great. So you're you're dead on. Yeah. I don't know where the heck we got it. It's just in the parking lot. Well, they're, <laughs> they're, they're uh, end caps, and so around here, uh, you know, obviously because they, uh, you know, uh, oil, gas, and other you know uh, deals. So there's end caps. So you got to try to score. But um, you know, I mean, even, even if they were used, it'd be even cooler. We just have to burn all the oil oh, yeah. and fucking impurities out of it but no i mean some things all the like carcinogens that. off of it yeah it'll be fine let's cook some meat on there it'll be good Maybe it'll it get a little extra tasty so no dude that uh, uh you guys did an amazing uh Thanks, amazing guys. deal i mean the, the amount of attention to detail to, to to pull that off was was killer i was i was blown away thank you how, how Thanks, about the man. platform so you set up the stage for the speakers and then we had olympic lifting we had some power lifting some big ass deadlifts on that platform so tell us the story there because i know there's a story behind the wood and everything yeah so we wanted to have a, a platform that was uh a, a, the standard so we could do international competitions if we wanted to or powerlifting, weightlifting whatever it may be so we made a, a four meter by four meter which is what uh right at 13 feet ish 13 two i believe um and then we made it to the spec of, of um, you know, international weightlifting specifications. So that became a platform that we could future run meets and competitions. But in the meantime, the kind of the break in of it was for actually uh, the stage at Summerstrong. So I thought it was only appropriate that, you know, the the singular spot to to uh, move weight was where you guys dropped your knowledge bombs. So, yeah, it's been fun. We actually uh, James Tatum. Uh, the uh, weightlifter, he was here yesterday doing some some uh, video and, and uh, photo work. So he was on the platform all day. And so it's cool. We get get great people. You know, Wes Kitts was obviously yeah. here at Summer Strong, snatched that 380. With a gold and, barbell? Uh, with a, yeah, with a uh, gold Elico bar. There are not too many of those running around. I think it's the only so, one, isn't it? Uh, there's actually two. 
there, there was two. We, they, they made it, um, I think it was back in the late 80s. Ilico made it um, for, for Bud Charniga, who was the Ilico dealer at the time. It was the, it was the first Ilico dealer in the U.S. And they made it for and donated it for uh, the first uh, American to break the world record in, in weightlifting. And I hate to say it, but they kind of figured at some, pl- at some point in the mid-90s that wasn't going to happen anytime soon. And, um, and we were able to buy it from Bud and we had saw, we saw it was super cool. So I think we bought it maybe like 98, 99. So it, uh, it's been pretty much sitting, like, sitting like there for a long time. Yeah. I actually, in, I think in 98 or 99, I cleaned 340 for a triple on it. And that was the last time it's been used. Wow. So that was, that was it. I don't know. It seems like we might have a chance here in the next couple of years. <laughs> I mean, people, yeah, people, right. People are getting, I mean, I, I I don't know if you saw it, but that like, I think it was like some like 17 year old kid from Brazil snatched like 290 at the CrossFit Games, like in midst of a workout. Yeah. And he didn't even win that. And, and, and he didn't win, which is even blows my mind even more. But like when you have a situation where you take like, you know, now like Olympic weightlifting has become actually cool, just not for, you know, sport performance. It's like a you know, sure. training deal, but actually to Olympic lift. So you're having all this stuff. And like, you know, that's what I was uh, appreciated about. Uh, my bank account was full. My Rolex was gold. My car was Mercedes, but my heart was empty. You know, I can Dave Spitz talking about, you know, that he, you know, and, and I'll, I'll tell you, I fucking love Dave. And uh, great. I had uh, reservations. I was like, oh, he's going to fucking maybe bomb. You know, I know he's not a great public speaker. And then he got up and totally fucking surprised me. Uh, if you guys yeah, he smoked to, it. Oh, it was great. I mean, um, he did a great job. You know, his deal with SummerStorm, you guys get a chance to go watch it, was, was epic. But um, he said to me, I mean, looking dead in the eye, he was like, we will win a gold medal in Olympic weightlifting. He goes, I, he goes it's, it's our Yeah, and he, said, he was vying to do that years ago when he had fucking um, his boy come out. Oh, uh, um, uh, Donnie? No, no, when he brought uh, 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 the coach. The, yeah, the guy from Bulgaria. Uh, <laughs> right, who, right. Who, who passed away, which is. Uh, Abijayev? Abijayev. Yeah, Ab- yeah. When yep. he brought Abijayev in, who since passed away, but uh, yeah, no, I mean the the Abijayev stories are great. So. <laughs> the to- the toilet supplement stories, and- or the Ooh. fact that he was like, we need to starve a goat in the backyard, and then we will kill the goat, <laughs> and we will eat the goat because the stressor from the uh, the stress of being starved will make the goat meat extremely anabolic. Ugh. And he's and he, like, so we're living uh, in Benicia with a fucking goat <laughs> who are starving in the backyard. That shit ain't going to work, dude. And he, he carried his kidney stones around in a bottle and would just shake the bottle. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, you, you got to remember. I mean, yeah, it's fucking... I, yeah. I'm curious if like Belichick and like John Wood and all these legendary American coaches have crazy ticks like that. Uh, you know... I'll tell you this, uh, uh, Belichick, I kind of liked Belichick for the mere fact that um, he was literally so devoid of any personality when I saw him. It was, it was fucking weird. Like he'd almost like somehow sopped all the fucking emotion and like any, like, like just fucking like feeling like it was crazy. Like talking with him, you could like no tell, like I wouldn't want to play. I just remember thinking I would never play poker with this dude. He like, he wouldn't like if he, he could be up a million or fucking down 10, you couldn't tell the difference. It was just all the same, Damn. and the only the only personality I ever saw was when he was addressing Tom Brady or making a joke, like in, interacting with Tom. It's like the only thing that brought him joy. And I was like, "Wow, that's so fucking weird." But they win a lot of games. It's Tom Brady, though. Wouldn't you be joyful? Yeah, hey, giddy, Tom. Hey. Giddy, giddy like a schoolgirl. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, no, dude. It's uh, yeah. And then people were like, "Ah, oh, you know." And I always say, "I'm like, dude. What I really liked about his deal was uh, it was all business." 
and like you know everybody was the same do your job this other than tom who um there was just he pretty much had his own side of the locker room he had his own little room where his own trainers he had like his own fucking deal man and i remember thinking wow. like and, and he even said he's like okay this is for everybody but tom and you guys know why because he's got more rings and he's the best ever so fuck off if you ask me about it and people were like sounds good no problem yeah, yeah, <laughs> Track. Like, like like there isn't a single person it's like well why does tom brady get treated special <laughs> like, like, how come nobody ever says that? Like, and it's because, yeah, no, well, fuck off. And we're going to have to cut you for even saying that. Mm-hmm. And actually murder you. So I hope you're happy. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah you or starve you, starve you like a goat in the backyard. Yeah, questioning Tom Brady, and Tom Brady, bitch. And Tom Brady's going to eat your flesh so that he gets more anabolic stuff because, you know, stress hormone. Has there been a South Park on Tom Brady? Yeah. Yeah. No. Yes. They dare touch him? Oh yeah, because they're Denver Broncos fans. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. that's right, that's right. So that's he's right. he's a constant. But uh, I believe for the last episode, I recall Ike received Tom Brady's steroids, and then <laughs> what's his name? Brady got Ike's like estrogen hormones or something. So he just you know laid a big shit on the field. So <laughs> we'll have to rewatch. Yeah, that leave one. it to South Park. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So hey, Bert, you know I was trolling around you guys' social media, and I think it was per- something on Purdue. You got a big install going on there is that what's in the pipeline right now what's going on there? yeah yeah we just finished it last week so at the time uh it's yeah it's really our, our largest install of all time so it's wow. uh cool you know when you hit a pr it's always nice and uh it's a freaking monster man Purdue so give us some right. dimensions uh size of the room i'm bad at that i'm wanting to say it was probably I'd say close to 18, 20,000 square feet. If I was to guess, um, it's a monster, but he has, uh, they have 24 base camp racks, Uber, Uber base camp racks with all the fixings, um, Raptors on the front, triphasic bars on the front, jammer arms on the front, lap pole, low row on the back, cable column on the other side, all the bars, everything, all the fun stuff that you could get. So what's I mean, the triphasic bar? Uh, basically, um, so Cal, uh, Dietz, you know, is, is, is yeah. uh, you know, doing the triphasic deal. So basically they're a set of angular bars that come out off the top of the rack at a 45 degree angle with, with hooks on them. They, they go up to about 10 feet six. So you could uh, hook bands for lightened method jumps, but you could get all the way up. So you could, you could jump, you know, 10 or 11 feet. So it's, it's a lightened method, high velocity, low tension banded jump uh, as a, uh, as kind of a French contrast. Oh, okay. Uh, okay. Cool. Very good. Yeah. yeah. So those are becoming more and more popular, honestly. Um, you know, obviously you have your, your high tension, lower velocity stuff from your, your prime movements. And then you could go all the way to uh, a very low tension, high velocity right there in the rack. Why don't we have that, Jen? Um, actually, it wasn't even an option when we made our order. That's cold blooded shit. Because, Let's send it back. Because like, I remember when I said to Trey, I was like, give me, I'm like, pretty much just give me everything. And he's like, I got you, dude. So that wasn't even an option. I don't know if that's brand no, new. No, I'm just kidding. Or they well, got some secret well, shit. Well, maybe there'll be a set uh, that may be on the carry-on bag in, in December. Yep. Oh, baby. Oh, dude, so what is it? Uh, uh, no, I mean, uh, we have uh, um, two base camps, and sure. uh, they are by far the coolest fucking things just for, like, the amount of shit that we can – you're, like, you're eliminated by your imagination. Like, we were 100%. talking – yeah. Like, we were trying to uh, – like, I was watching some stuff you guys were doing with, um, you know, the arms that were kind of set parallel, and the guy was doing some – looked like he was doing some snatches with them. Sure. And then uh, uh, you guys were like, we could lower those and do incline. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I, was, and I was like, oh, fuck, we could do. I mean, there's like, it's just kind of a, like, I don't, um, yeah, there's 
pretty much endless, but I mean, the thought of actually doing some like a D, you know, almost like lightning method, you know, being able to put bands and bars and hookups and attachments, I think you're only really limited by your imagination or really want how you want to put it all together. That's so, a fact. Right. Yeah, yeah. People see it and they go, oh, it's a rack. You could bench squat and deadlift. Um, I either, I either uh, challenge them to look deeper or I, I hate to say it, I almost kind of immediately write them off as not a very smart person <laughs> i hate to yeah. say it but i mean it's, just, it's kind of that it's like looking at a leatherman that. tool you're like wow it has a bottle opener yeah great good thinking you know <laughs> yeah uh, but is, is that is it telling of their their i guess just how long they've been doing it you know or like if they truly understand that the fucking like the performance <sighs> game because you can hit so much shit on there so yeah. much and I think it, it maybe is a, a part of kind of the life cycle of a strength athlete or in, you, you know, there's always a time when you first get into it and then spe- specifically based on your mentors or where you learn from, say, if you are a, um, a power lifter or, or West side guy or a speed guy or uh, whoever it might be, you, there's always that stage where you kind of go minimalistic. You're like, I'm just going to bench squat and dead, or I'm just going to pull press. And you know, that's going to be it. And that's fine. I've been through that stage as well. And then there's always the, the pendulum always swings. You're like, I'm going to do a, a horizontal push, a high velocity this, and then so-and-so that. And I think it's all good. And it and if, if we have to add these, um, these small changes to the training in some ways just to keep us excited and keep intense and consistent on our training, I say use every trick in the book. I mean, talking to dad – there's some things that he does out in the, the gym now that maybe aren't the most efficient or even will get him to the goal the fastest. But he told me one day, he looked me straight in the eye. He goes, Bert, I'm 67 years old. I've deadlifted 500 pounds for over 50 years. You know how many head games I have to play with myself to get out, to walk out of here when I feel as bad as I do. My hands hurt, my knees hurt, my back hurts everything's falling apart and at 67 convince and trick myself into going hard day. I've had to play every game in the book in my mind to keep me interested in this because it doesn't make sense that I'm doing this in rational sense, but it's who I am and it's what I love. So if doing a jammer arm press today with alternating feet with bands and clacker balls and everything else in the world hanging from it, if that makes you go out there today and work hard, great. The trick worked. And And that's what I think people have to understand. You know, the, uh, and then the, all all of a sudden things start just magically appear. Like I was doing safety squats yesterday and, uh, I started, um, as the jammer arms come, they kind of come into like a U and so there's a top and bottom and all of a sudden I'm like looking at it. And I always liked when I did the, uh, the Hatfield squats with the safety bar, I always wanted to be able to put my thumbs up and all of a sudden I looked and I was like, Oh shit, they're the curves. And like I had Got my thumbs it. up and I was like, you know, I'd never, because I, I always liked grabbing the, uh, the rack so I could put my thumbs up. I never wanted to be thumbs facing. Right. But and it's hard because it puts it, a lot of stress on the shoulders being and wide. It's so wide. Four feet and so wide all like of a sudden that. I was able to play with different grips and I was like, God, it's almost as if they thought of everything. Well, <laughs> I was like, <laughs> well, you, you know, get the tools where you guys could figure out, you know, what solution works for you. But I always think, that you know, you guys thing. probably started with one iteration and then for the feedback and like, you know, hey, what about this? And I'm sure you guys have like write that down and then the guys go and construct stuff like we were playing with our lap pull down. And it's like, you know, you can do, you know, like curls, you can do all these different things and how they kind of set it up. And I'm looking at it, I'm like, fuck, man, they put a lot of thought even to the point of like molding the seat. So motorcycle that, like, you, seat. Yeah. Like just not yeah. a flat seat and it's, and it's wide. 
so it doesn't feel like it's just fucking driving you in your prostate. But like, it's just like uh, that's a special edition. You know, that was actually a complaint of mine that it wasn't driving. That it exactly. <laughs> well, good thing the funny part was you actually replaced uh, your normally seat with actually Texas face, uh-huh. which is even more strange. Yeah, yeah. it's well, called it's spotting, John. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to spot underneath on the lat pull down, but it was a little awkward. But I mean, that's. I think what um, Wait, I thought it was called the lap pull down, <laughs> like you sit on well, your buddy's lap. It's uh, it's just like anything. Like the technology is always super cool for people that are actually using the technology and trying to improve it. If somebody just designs right. something and they don't ever use it, it's not this kind of growing and breathing. And like you know, and even um, you know, going out and talking about different iterations and whatnot. And I think uh, for us especially, like you start to appreciate all this stuff. And sure. um, no, it's killer, man. I uh, do well, appreciate it. you. You're the kind of guys we make it for um, the ones that just want a great place to bench squat and dead. Sometimes they're, they're not Sornex customers. I mean, there is, there's a ton of racks out there. that will work if you're just trying to hold a bar four and a half feet off the ground and get under and squat. It. I mean, there's, they're going to work, but for people who get excited and want to try something else. So like I said, a different banded load or velocity intent based on this arc pattern or whatever, that's where that cutting edge technology comes from that allows for cutting edge application. You know, we have people say, well, where's the data that, that supports, you know, this, this thing that you're doing in your training. And I've said before, if you're truly cutting edge, you are the data. There is no data to, to back up what you're doing generally. And that's okay because half of it's going to get thrown out and we're going to try it for a couple of weeks and go, this is dumb. My shoulder hurts now and okay, I'm, I'm my own lab rat. And that's part of the the voyage of it, but the voyage is the fun of it, right? I mean, there's really very little reason at our age we need to be as strong as we are besides feeling strong and, okay, great, like something might happen. I have to lift five, 600 pounds, whatever, like, but that's probably not going to happen in life. Probably 300 pounds will be enough. That's a strong male, fine. But that that drive and that excitement for the game and, and for unlocking that human potential, um, that's that's who we make our products for the ones that want to ring those last little rpms out of it i mean the same reason why people buy muscle cars and and make them go super fast and super you know efficient and and really effective that's the same kind of mindset that we're going off of and the people who want to drive to work at 55 miles an hour never go faster than that probably not our customer (laughs) no i mean i i I did see an interesting comment i've been um uh, i'm doing a talk for uh Ken Ford out at the Institute of Mental and Human Cognition, which is a DARPA-funded research group. And they're asking me to come in and speak on um, training for strength and performance for advanced populations, for like aging populations. And part of the, you know, as I was doing a little bit of research, I saw a really good quote that uh, I'm going to use, which is, uh, we don't stop lifting and, and getting strong and strength training because we get old. We get old because we stop doing these things. That all sure. of a sudden, now that you stop trying to do these things, like, you know, I'm too old to be doing this. I'm not going to try to lift it or I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to do these things. So when you start realizing your limitations is when age effectively sets in. And, right. uh, that was a, a really interesting thing. And in like this, um, and you know, this is old hat for what these guys are sitting here, but the idea, and I talked about it at the symposium with the athleticism continuum that where mm-hmm. you start on the continuum is based off of ge- geography or, uh, genetics, geography, and opportunity. And so talking with these guys about, um, you know, developing a personal level of fitness, the idea that, you know, what is the, what level of fitness do I need to effectively be able to do what I need to do? And then looking right. at this constant evolution of training athleticism as this forever ending or never ending uh, continuum, 
um, that, you know, if you look at just basic functions, now the functions that I have to do, let's say at 40, it weren't the same functions I had to do at 26 that are probably different than I'm going to have to do at, you know, 56 or 66, but they're still, you know, basic movements. Am I going to be able to put one foot sure. in front of the other? And you kind of go through it like playing football to where, you know, what does the training look like and being able to kind of periodize your training, uh, you know, but then also being able to figure out movement selection based off of, you know, primal movement patterns. And I, I've been kind of working on this thing uh, and then how to necessarily kind of cheat mother nature in a little bit in terms of like, okay, um, I know that I can, you know, figure out a, a safer eccentric load with a band. So then yes. does it make sense to put less weight in the bar and maybe add more bands or use something like uh, blood flow restricted training where you start trying to occlude uh, venous blood flow and um, trying to get muscle to, or blood to pool so that we can get, you know, increased growth hormone and, and androgen response or using EMS like a power dot to get, you know, uh, a motor unit recruitment or sure. even, you know, developing an aerobic base to increase mitochondrial density. So, I mean, like there's all these little tricks that I think as you're a younger individual, you don't necessarily have to know a ton about, you right. can just bench squat and deadlift, but now you're looking at training aging populations and we almost have to get a little more jiggy, a little smarter sure. and uh, continue to develop these things. But it's, uh, and, and John, there's, I guess what Bert was just talking about with pops in terms of, the mental side of things and having the creativity yep. to just to be engaged in the training, right? Like, Oh, I'm interested in this style. It gets you at yes. least it gets you in the door. Well, well, here's another thing. And I was, I, I was actually, uh, uh, when I looked in the calendar and I saw you were coming on as I was working on this, I was like, man, at some point I got to reach out to your pop because I have this theory of, um, grip strength. So grip strength, I think, is a function of central nervous system efficiency. We used to yes. test grip strength all the time with uh, torqueometers, you know, where you like squeeze them and you could see what your grip was. We set a baseline when we were supposedly recovered. And then when you came in, we could see if we were under recovered or how we were doing based off of our ability to generate force in that grip. And I think uh, what's pretty interesting is if that's a function of central nervous system efficiency and they say as you age, your nervous system isn't efficient, I wonder for somebody like your dad, who's been able to keep his grip strength through all of these years, like, was he just the, uh, you know, the anomaly or was there something that he did? Maybe it's his approach about like, as long as I'm going out there and training with some intensity and I have to change movements, I'm always kind of working in the higher bands, regardless of what it looks like. If that's, you know, keeping his nervous system efficient or the fact that like your dad might be one of the longer, I mean, if you look at the guys who have trained for, you know, an entire lifetime, you know, is it, uh, it allows them to age slower, but you think about the injuries. I mean, it's, it's kind of sure. interesting, but I just, the grip thing always was fascinating. I mean, 57 and being able to close it. And when you go shake your dad's hand, you can still feel like the inertia of his grip. And you're like, this dude could still crush my hand. Yeah, no, the, you're right. But I think, I think his high level of training, the high intensity of his training, I think a few things, I think genetically he's predisposed just to be in great shape for a long time. But there again, he's done heavy resistance training since probably 10 years old. Um, so you're taking 57 years in it and maybe has not taken off more than a few um, weeks. And that was when he had uh, prostate surgery for when he had prostate cancer. And besides that, like he's pretty much been on it the whole time. Um, so you, you look at the, you know, the hormonal response, the, the bone density response, all, everything like that. Uh, he's always been pushing. Um, the grip, his grip has probably declined more in the last two years exponentially, um, because the downside of all that volume over the years and years and years, he has pretty bad arthritis in there now. And some of the, the joints are actually starting to, to wear out 
almost completely. So he's his, unfortunately his hands are in a lot of pain these days. And he has very, very little grip stuff, um, which is sad. And it's kind of hard for him because, you know, say five years ago, he could still do a number three, you know, in, in normal gym, like areas and things like that. And he was able to do a number two or two and a half with two fingers. Like he was still extremely strong. And then it was, it was like the, everything in his thumbs kind of powdered up and now it's, it's pretty rough for him. And it's, it's, it sucks, but you see the other side of running those tires for 57 years. But, uh, you think about too, um, there's a lot of strong people that don't have grip strength. Um, right. I, I, I used to run in this all the time, like, uh, playing football. Um, you know, you punch a guy, you, you know, you grip the Jersey and you feel that grip on you. Uh, I remember guys that were, you know, 500 plus benchers. I mean, super strong dudes that didn't have like that grip strength. Right. And I remember like thinking about central nervous system efficiency and I did a bunch of research on it and there was a bunch of like, uh, you know, when, um, is it uh Bud uh, Charnick that, that translated sure. all the Russian journals? Yes. Was, yeah. So, uh, I remember I, I bought a bunch of his stuff and they had a huge section on grip about, uh, that they felt that you couldn't develop your grip strength after the age of like, you know, 19 or 20, which we know isn't necessarily mm. true because you continue to get your grip strength. But they talked about developing strong grips as a young age um, and, you know, a great sign of like s- central nervous system efficiency and the ability to kind of course it up. But, uh, I, you know, it's, uh, it's just kind of interesting to think like uh, how somebody could develop. I mean, was it primarily trained? Was it a, uh, was something that it was just a, had an, a, like an affinity for, or is it just a byproduct? Like some people just develop faster than others. Yeah, I think in the case with him, um, I think obviously genetically, even even his mom, I remember having a really strong grip, my grandmother later on in her life. But uh, but she always even commented on when he was a little kid, he would grab her hands or grab her arms and like kind of pinch her. And she was like, wow, Richie, you know, that, that hurts. And my son is the same way. Like he'll pinch me sometimes. He's only five and it, it hurts really badly and there's some little tiny grippers that he could close now and that he get but he has that same wiring he has that really hot wiring and i think exactly what you're saying uh not only does he have a really strong grip but when he's even jumping and like hopping around as a little kid you'll watch it as a, a very a very shallow knee bend angle very shallow hip bend angle it almost looks like he's elastic and he just kind of hops almost with without any um without any effort. So I kind of, I, I, I buy into that scenario and that, that idea of the nervous system recruitment because I've, I've seen it happen and I had a pretty strong grip. I closed the number three years ago and, and kind of along the same lines, but, um, but to, to where he started training. So he was genetically predisposed, but he was reading um, books on Herman Gorner. I don't know if you've ever read about Gorner. who's a German strongman, I believe in the twenties and thirties. And uh, when you, if you get a chance to look him up, and he was absolutely complete freakazoid when it came to deadlifting strength, uh, odd odd strength, and and grip strength specifically. And I know when he was maybe a teenager, which you think back then, okay, you're talking the '60s. Who is who is reading books on Herman Gorner? Um, but your dad, pops, yeah, my dad. That was like the guy. That was the only dude. So dad, the, the '60s was reading about it, and then in the '80s he was trying to break. Gorner's, you know, 80 year old world records of things when no one was doing any kind of gripping dad was, you know, invented the blob and was doing vertical bar lifts and single bar and, you know, 500 pound, you know, lockouts on two inch bars and all this craziness. And he was like the only guy doing it. And, and, and he was literally going against the old strong men. Um, and that 
even have, have it's been said that potentially the numbers that they were doing wasn't even accurate, but he was chasing these guys that he considered to be some of the strongest men on the planet. So there was always that, that drive for it. I have a picture of him at thir- 12 or 13. Cause he, I know he's young. Cause you could don't, you can see his bedroom slippers on and he has a pair of 35s in one hand and a pair of 25s pinch gripped in the other hand, smooth sides out of the old York plates and 12 or 13 years old. I probably was 16 or 17 the first time I got the 35s. So he was doing it like as literally a kid. And not only could he do it, but that he even cared was the interesting part. That while all these other kids are doing whatever the heck they're doing, playing baseball and stuff, Pops was, you know, deadlifting and, and doing pinch gripping and, and doing all other kind of things that were thought of as to be really strange to them, but then turned out kind of cool 40 years later. Yeah, he was ahead of his time. Yeah, he he really was. He's always been he's always been a visionary on on certain things, even like a collection of guns and knives and stuff like that. It's like whatever he ends up buying, go ahead and buy them because ten years later they're going to be cool and popular. And I've found <laughs> seen that in my entire life. He'll buy these you know cowboy action guns. Like what are you getting those old cool all those old weird guns for? And like ten years later, all of a sudden cowboy action shooting gets popular. I'm like you ought to get one. He's like, yeah, I got all of them ten years ago. I don't need any more. You're like, damn, that was cool. You got them when they were cheap before it was cool. Why? When you get good ones, you know. He's always been great with that. So I'm very lucky there. I get a little crystal ball. Of what's about to be cool? Now, I guess in terms of uh, the visionary side of things, <laughs> is there is there any story behind the build out of the new the new Sornex HQ? I mean, I know that was relatively recent uh, when you sure. guys opened up. We came in for a seminar shortly after. Um, you know, who were, who were, I guess, who was the brain trust that put that place together? Uh, that was, uh, pops myself and, and Nelson, my director of, uh, my director of ops. And we just looked and made a list of all the stuff we would want to do. Um, when we have our chance, kind of like when you're building your gym, your facility, here's the things I want to do. We knew we wanted a, a large gym with all of our best stuff in there. So we could hold events like summer strong, hold events like the symposiums that you guys did. Um, be able to do Photoshop photo shoots, be able to bring people in and just bring them together in a world-class training facility. We knew we wanted to have a section um, dedicated to the iron game and the, that doesn't have necessarily anything to do with Sornex, but we have 2000 square foot of um, museum. And it's one you're talking about with the anvils and the old, the relics and things like that to show the world that yeah, Sornex is cool and all, but we didn't come up with strength. This is, this is, something that's been going for a long time. These are some of the places, the, the mentors and the people we look to that we learned from. We're thankful to play a part in that, that lineage, but it's going to go on after us. And there were certainly things before us. And that's partly we could look and research that too and see where was Bob Hoffman, who was the uh, founder of York Barbell. Where was his mind when he was the first to, uh, to bottle um, to bottle water. He was the first to bottle health water, spring health water in the fifties and sixties. That was, no one was doing that. And you you think like how far in advance was he, he was doing uh, the first protein powders, the first mail order squat racks and barbells. He was, it was the first guy to, to make Olympic lifting or, or, you know, revolving sleeve bars in the U S and there's stuff you, you look and you dig in and you see where people's mindset was, and that helps you understand your own voyage, where you're at, where you might be going, and mistakes that they made, what what worked, what didn't, and, and a lot of this stuff has been figured out before. And you can't you can't go around that, you know. It's like John. I mean, when you were playing football, you were great, but people did that before you. 
and people did it after you. And it, it's cool that you got to play a part in that, that, that timeline. Um, but I'm sure you learned a lot from the greats as well. So that's, that's kind of where, why we did the, uh, the museum. And then obviously there's, that's the hardware side. And then upstairs we have the library and I kind of jokingly call it all the stuff that's not on the internet. And some of them are, you know, it's every powerlifting USA, um, from 1977, uh, article, you know, number one issue all the way through all the iron mans, all the iron mines, uh, strength and health. Some of them back from the fifties, the, the all American magazine. We have books written by Sandow. We have books written by it was basically Bompa and everyone else out there. And as, as new books come out and people send us books, they go right in the, in the uh, library where we have a, a, a hangout area where someone could come and take a sabbatical and grab a coffee or a beer and sit there for a few hours or a couple of days or whatever they want and, and read about where this, where this whole iron game has come from. And, and then they can make predictions on where it's going, or they could realize that the guys in the 1950s when George friend and peanuts West and all these guys were training, you know, that's a little Cali Cali love for you there. Yeah, that's a little uh, West know. side barbell. Yeah, there you go. That's yeah, the original Culver West City. Side Barbell. You know, yeah, that's that's Culver where City. it came from. Peanuts West at West Side Barbell. It was in Culver yeah. City. Yeah, it was in Culver and, City. Actually, where my yeah. dad, my my dad was born in Kansas, but they he lived in Culver City and uh, went sure. to Hamilton High School. But yeah, no, I've I, like like Culver City isn't a big town, but uh, yeah, no, exactly. I mean, I, I grew up just right up the hill in Torrance, Palos Verdes area, so that's pretty sure. Close. Sure, and Peanuts West would would put on a couple pairs of jeans, wrap his legs in, in bed sheets, and then slide a bigger pair of jeans on when he would do these box squats. This is like the fifties and sixties. So, dude was doing geared box squats back then. Um, you know, George Friend, who was a uh, champion at that point, you had all this stuff happening, and that's what we like to look at and see. Why did these guys do this? What was their hypothesis of their training? Was it accurate? Was it was it substantiated by science? Maybe now, because we have the science to track all of this stuff, we could find out that, yes, accommodating resistance or compensatory acceleration, all this stuff works. But these guys just thought it worked or they just were throwing something up against the wall to see if it stuck. And well, that's it, the fun stuff to see. It was actually uh, – and then Zangus, who I trained with, uh, those guys were actually using ace bandages and they were uh, ace bandaging uh, tennis balls behind their knees. Right. I and think so, we talked about that. Yeah, That's and then crazy. George came up with the wraps, and then they were actually making these suits. Like they were basically like uh, jean shorts that they were putting on over, and then George actually stitched up the first super suit and got a patent on it and all that. So I mean, it's pretty, it's pretty cool. I mean, George, uh, I'm so I'm so sad that he passed away and didn't get to see where all this stuff went because if he could have lived another ten years, he would have like seen all this stuff come to fruition and kind of seen it because he he hated geared lifting. He thought like, really? Yeah, I mean, he was like, you know, single ply, uh, you know, knee wraps, like, and they had to be a certain distance, anything over. And he always talked about like the multiply stuff and the canvas suits and this and all the nonsense. He's like, dude, it's not lifting. And I think like right. to see the resurgence of raw power lifting and what people are doing in terms of strength training and all this, I think, uh, you know, to the old guys that were in, you know, that did it back then to see it now, I think, um, you know, it's got to be pretty good for those guys. Yeah, exactly. And you, you see the, the voyage that they went on and, and, and the whole industry went on and went from raw powerlifting or actually went started at weightlifting in the 60s. It came, went into powerlifting with Terry Todd, you know, and those guys. And then that whole sport erupted and then you had the Larry Pacificos and then it started getting into the gear stuff. And then the super geared, what, what late, late 90s through mid 2000s. 
And then now there's a resurgence and, and you can look at that and start making predictions of what's going on in the industry now and where, what do we learn from that? What do we learn? I had guys tell me, well, yeah, you, you could, you need to, you need to wear a, a briefs and then a triple dipple suit, this and that and the other, and you could squat 800 something pounds. You know, I had a 600 raw there. My question to them was, I, I don't throw in a suit. I, I can't do all that stuff. They said, well, you'll, you'll get the nervous system um, innervation for the 800 pounds. Maybe there was something to that. Maybe I should have, I should have got into that more deeply. Um, but there's where you time and, and science and, and even just anecdotal life will allow you to kind of make the most out of those hypotheses and see what, where they're going and what, what actually sticks. And it's interesting to see what'll stick next. Yeah, that's the the beauty of application and why we need, almost need to take science with a, a grain of salt because it's well, controlled and they look at one thing. But yeah, right. strength coach and athlete, it's an infinite combination of things well, for your one goal. It's kind of like uh, you know they're coming out with this West Side movie, like West Side Against the World deal, and uh, Louis right. Simmons had uh, the observational skills of Louis Simmons to notice changes and make changes on the fly, probably. Um, you know, and people have gone back and actually studied little things that Louis just in, inherently knew or instinctively knew or somehow tested or whatever. And over, you know, 30, 40 years was able to, you know, come up with stuff that, uh, you know, if we had left it up to the scientists, probably would have never figured it out. But I mean, these guys were doing stuff in real time, pushing the bounds of everything. And they, um, you know, they got a documentary. Actually, I got interviewed for it. I hope it makes the movie. But uh, that deal with West Side versus the world, like, I mean, talk about innovators, but I mean, it's just not Louis. I mean, there's other guys that fit within that that scheme of like, if the goal is maximal strength, you have a bunch of people attacking this problem from different ways. I mean, you can look at how the Russians train versus, you know, the the strongest guy in the world right now. If you look at, uh, I mean, I don't even know who it is. It's probably um, Milanichev or you got uh, uh, the big Ray Williams. I mean, there's these guys that are, you know, easily squatting. I think a dude squatted, what, 1,100 raw? I mean, yeah. which is, I mean, it, you know, and then... Uh, uh, who's the other guy mentioned like 738 raw, uh, that big, uh, uh Boroshikos guy. Um, I mean, these guys are, you know, deadlifting a thousand plus, I mean, the amount of, uh, and I think what's interesting is you made a point about, um, a lot of these guys came out of geared lifting and I think they got tired of it. They threw off the gear and all of a sudden now the guys are, the ungeared guys are approaching the geared numbers. Right. And I, and I sometimes wonder if like, it's almost like the gear allows you to do it. And then once the body realizes you can do it, you can take it off and reach those numbers. So, right. I mean, watching right. Eddie like, Hall, an, like an overspeed yeah, sprint that's or you know, something like say, that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, I, I'm trying to think of who, who actually told me that it might've been, uh, oh shit. I think it might've been, uh, uh, Dave Tate or one of the guys was talking about, you know, the, the geared guys throwing it off and there's like this weird, uh, like kind of like learning curve where all of a sudden they're weaker. And then all of a sudden the strength has a super compensation effect and shoots up. And uh, he's like, I think a lot of the guys that you're seeing now with these insane numbers, you know, you got to like guy like Ray Williams. He's just probably just a genetic, well, he is a genetic freak. He's like 400 some pounds, but you're looking at, you know, some of these other guys that are pushing. I mean, like my other favorite one is watching Eddie Hall on that deadlift where he almost looks like he has a fucking massive heart attack. Yeah. But I mean, that type of stuff where you're seeing push, people push the bounds of what's, of what was generally considered impossible is pretty exciting. And then I, I also wish that there was some way we could kind of, actually quantify all these stories because i mean like, like bert like I, i've read a lot of the old strongman stuff and when you like say it out loud and you read it you go wait a minute how much is that right. no fucking way Her, Her, herman gorner deadlifted 727 one-handed yeah 
or, you know? or or like the uh, uh, like the straight leg that side bend press that they used to do, right. and it's like five hundred. You're like I, I forgot the number, but it was like a five hundred and fifteen pound one handed side bridge press, and you're like, wait a minute, like uh, how the f- I, like I can't do, do twenty? Well, yeah. do we apply <laughs> the Luke Summers story logic to this? We just assume and divide everything by eight. Hang on, first <laughs> off, that rule only applies with beers drank. Girls and what else do I lie about? Those are the only two things. Oh, yeah, that's, that's all basically. you do. I mean, you don't really do anything <laughs> else. It is, Both. It's been a dry spell ten years. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, like I, I like, like I, I also remember uh, reading a story of uh, Louis Sour, who uh, you know was a French strongman from Quebec, and he was saying that um, something about he watched his mother. She would climb up and had to put uh, sacks of flour in like a loft. So she could climb up a, uh, I think it's a ladder with like a 300-pound sack on her shoulder and throw it uh, from the ladder into the loft, and that's how she would do it. She would have to stack, and then she would have to get down every day, take them up and take them down, these 300-pound sacks of flour. And he talked about with the ease at which he watched his mother throw and pick up these sacks. And you're like, has anybody ever here ever lifted a 300-pound sandbag? And, Uh, I mean, just (laughs) let alone, like, gripped it, put it on, like, uh, like that's... and, And then... Have the uh, articulate, you know, the uh, uh, I guess you could say the physical ability and a strong enough ladder to put it on your shoulder, climb up a ladder, and throw it into a uh, like, accurately. Well, it was a Soranex ladder, so it makes sense. You're right, right. Just, base uh, camp ladder. Like, like you read that stuff and you're like, wait a minute, that doesn't like. There's like, uh, but I mean, right. who, who knows if it's uh, like the cowboy? Yeah, uh, you know, editorial uh, latitude there. Yeah, exactly. So with suits, essentially, uh, I've never put one on. So well, I, we should I, get you in one. I don't think so. But um, so, Bert, what is it? What does it help you? Where does it help you? Is it trunk? Is it hips? Is it hamstrings? Is it knees? So where is the assistance that allows you to go from six to eight hundred? Well, you uh, well before you go, you have to preface it. There's multiple suits. Okay. So are you talking right. about single wrap, double, uh, multi ply, mm-hmm. like just a single ply suit? What is most applied, say, in a college setting to help a football player do more? So we used to lift, and we had single ply suits. So back in the day with Zangus, and what it is is it's a can, it's a can of a canvas, um, like almost like a sausage casing is what I used to call it. And what it is is it has a reinforced stitching, like a big thick reinforced stitching, like an extra fabric in the crotch. So as you squat down, it effectively stops you. And think about uh, elasticity of the fabric is pulling. So as you're stretching at the bottom, and so it allows you to stop in the bottom and be more explosive out of the bottom. But what it usually does is it feels you stand up really fast because it feels like somebody's stretching your balls in half. Yes. And you want to get the hell out of there. Because no, George is stretching a George's, hot dog or hamburger. Dude, it's just like a mash. <laughs> it's more like somebody's stretching it back on you as hard as they can. Ah, yeah. And okay. uh, and then you stand up. But there's also a known side effect, which uh, if you've ever squatted in a suit, which I'm sure Bert has, um, at the bottom, what it does is it creates greater uh, pressure. So as you get to the bottom, um, you start to feel like your eyes are going to fucking pop out of your head and your head's going to explode. So when you when you hit the bottom, and the reason that you're watching the powerlifting meets that the guys are squatting, you'll hear them like, down, 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 back, 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 up. And as soon as you hear them say up, they stand up so violently that you think like, holy fuck, how do they stand up? That's the pressure in your head that's so fucking uh, uh, like bad that you stand up just out of mere survival. Yeah, it's not far off of that. <laughs> so uh, I remember the first time when I squatted that like 800 pounds or whatever it was uh, with a set of briefs on and the pressure was so fucking bad. I stood up and almost threw the weight off my back. On to Steve right. Mariucci? No, on to uh, Nate. Oh, 
and Ben. <laughs> das Clinic. Yeah, Das Clinic, Nate, and Ben, and Bo Bergner, who collectively couldn't deadlift 400 pounds, let alone, I remember them being like, dude, you got to get this or we're going to die, everybody. That's exactly <laughs> what you want to hear when you're about to big lift, right? Well, oh, yeah. So, uh, <laughs> like, there was some shit like that, but, I mean, it, like, that was the one. I remember I hit a Wendler, and I was like, dude, I stood up uh, so fast, I thought my head was going to explode, and I actually blow uh, blood vessels in my eyes and on my shoulders. And Jim was funny. He texted me back, and he's like, uh, welcome to the world of geared fucking cheating. Yeah. And I was like, okay, time to not do that anymore. Fuck that shit. So, <laughs> yeah, for for me, it was always it. Uh, I, I did. Um, I never. Well, let me think how many times I've probably worn a really, really triple thick suit once or twice in training. Mess around. That was never really my thing. Um, I wore like the old Enzer suits, the single ply. That really all it did is just cut into your hips really tightly leave blood blisters and squeeze your balls like yeah. for me and then it kind of kept the the torso a little bit more erect like he said uh in your inner thoracic pressure kept that very high it never really gave me a whole heck of a lot um because i was on the the, the single ply suit and then you know played around with the denims and everything i could never get the groove of it i was more of a let's call like an athletic kind of squatter where it was just down up kick out of the bottom and go i wasn't a big box squatter and from my experience and from training partners and my observation, it, it feels like the really heavy static suits, as I'll say, that don't have a lot of elasticity, but just more of a static fabric, just like John said, gave a, a stopping point that was almost similar to a box squat that where you could go down and, and actually uh, have something to push off of to an extent. And, you know, you look at some, somebody, some guys are able to box squat a whole shit ton. And then when you add in a really wide stance, vertical shin angle um and then they're almost able so you have minimal knee bend you're able to sit down on this box <clears throat> and then come out of it so you have a reduced uh a reduced vertical amplitude of the squat you have a supported hip and a and a and basically a stopped body from going down any further that's what starts jacking up those numbers really high and then that's also where the monolift comes in because to squat in that that manner you, you really have to get pretty wide, like a, a more of a West side style, super wide squat. And at those poundages, the 800, 900, you know, a thousand, whatever it may be, you weren't seeing a lot of guys with the uh, singular leg strength to walk out and then squat it and get into that wide position, squat it, and then recover from that. Yeah. So that's where the monolith became very popular because the only way to get into that position and get out of it was to go ahead and, and put your feet in that super wide position unloaded lock out the bar, squat, put it right back in. So that, in my opinion, that really wide box squat, specifically with chains and bands, was almost impossible out of, out of a normal set of racks, which, again, the, the equipment allowed a different technique to be used, just like in a lot of sports. And then the technique that was, that was eventually used almost made the equipment, um, ha it made it made it so important that you almost really couldn't do it without monolift or something of that level and i think honestly i think people got tired of buying a bunch of crazy equipment and having to deal with okay i put on 10 pounds my suit doesn't fit anymore or the, the <laughs> sewing needs to be moved because i can't get it over my shoulders my traps got a little bit bigger and i heard all these my guys say i'm working fit. the suit i'm working the suit <laughs> so and, we, um, uh, but we, and they're we, expensive right we had a powerlifting meet and uh the hilarious part was uh and and this is kind of my take on it whenever somebody asks me about the gear i always want to know man you like get as strong as you physically possible 
uh, as you can raw without knit. And then if you want to put it on later and train, but if you go to the gear too early, it's, uh, yep. it's like in top gun, you know, you go to the missiles too quick and you don't learn your dogfighting skills. You'll never learn to use your fucking guns. So case exactly. in point, uh, we had a powerlifting meet and these guys drove down for it. And, uh, these dudes show up and they got like, uh, Enzer predator briefs. They got the, uh, Enzer canvas suits. They got the fucking three meter wraps. They got every fucking ounce of gear. And so these guys are like what I thought were still warm ups, And these dudes are taking like 500 pound, like literally like 500 pound fucking openers. And the guys can't stabilize. They're like, basically they're so wide, they stand up and they're shaking so bad. They can't stabilize with 500. And then they're bombing out on these three lifts. And I remember like thinking to myself, if I have to fucking dress up like a rubber band man and put on fucking a thousand dollars worth of gear to squat 500 fucking pounds, I'm, I'm probably just going to fucking kill myself. Uh, like I could see and like, it just, it was one of those deals. And then these shirts and all this shit. And then we, we had a, uh, a single ply, uh, bencher there. That was a bench only guy who, who showed up and he was probably every bit of about 385 pounds of, uh, fucking chewed bubble gum. And I remember he like walked over to me and was like, Hey, uh, I'm trying to get my shirt on. I was hoping you could like lift my peck up and like stuff, the, stuff my shirt on. And I'm like, what? And so the guy packing my shirt, man, let's go. Basically his side boob was so massive that what he was asking is he was going to pull up his side boob and, or I'm sorry, he wanted me to reach my hand into his shirt to pull up his side boob so he could get his shirt on. And I looked at the guy and was like, are you fucking kidding me? I'm like, first of all, I'm not fucking touching your fucking man boob. Second of all, dude, like fucking find somebody else. And he did. He found some other guy to fucking wrench on his fucking massive tit. And, um, was that, that guy, that guy oh, came I did in. it. Yeah, I he mean, my, he did come face. in and bench. I mean, he benched six something, like a 635 mm-hmm. uh, out of this single ply. But mind you, this dude was about 5'10", about 375, and his yeah. arms had to be no longer than four inches. Mm-hmm. So he, he had about the same arm length as a hamster, is what I like to refer to it as. But, uh, you know, and I, I remember uh, Old Man Zangus, um, and this was part of a fuck-up for me. Um, I, I really wish, like, he was big up on, like, hey, don't put the gear on early. But yet we were, I remember, fuck, trying to wrap up our knees to squat 225 when I was 14 years old. Right. And I, and I remember, it, like, he didn't stop us. And I remember, like, him, like, commenting on it. But he wasn't like, don't put on that nonsense. Fuck off. Throw them in the trash. Don't use them because he had them there. And I, I always think, like, um, and that's part of the reason why my blog and a lot of the stuff's called The Long Road. Because it's a it's a long road, and I really wish uh, as a youngster he had been like, "Nah, dude. Even though we have all this shit, I invented it. Don't use it. You don't need it. And I'll, but I'll tell you when you need it." And I think uh, that was a mistake for me was uh, putting on the knee wraps and the belt and all that stuff a little too early. And yeah. um, I think it it really uh, retards and inhibits growth, especially on that bottom end. And also, we, our program was nothing but singles, doubles, and triples which we know don't necessarily work for a beginner. So I think there was a situation where I think George hadn't trained beginners in a long time. And, you know, and just interesting, you know, so I mean like uh, a lot of the trials and tribulations and what you see for power athlete and us is just a lot of my own mistakes. And <laughs> and like, let me show you how not to fuck yourself up. Cause I did all that. So now I'm going to show you a better right. way. And, um, but I mean, there's, you know, everybody has to learn, but, uh, I think I might've said this at the talk. My dad told me a long, a long time ago that if, um, I have to make every mistake and I can't learn from others, I'm going to have a painful life. Um, a man that can learn from the mistakes of others is both an intelligent man and a happy man. And like, I think about that a lot. Like, uh, you know, when I talk to people about training, especially that argue with me, I'm like, dude, just trust me. I made these mistakes. I'm trying to not tell you to sell you anything, convince you anything. I'm trying to allow you to get the best performance you can without having to fucking, uh, bump your head, kick yourself in the dick and fucking, you know, talk to the surgeon, you know, about that. Like, just follow this path. 
And, um, you know, that's, I think, uh, what all too often does not happen because what happens is I think people like ego, well, ego, but they also want to play tight to the vest and why I had to make these mistakes. So fuck you, you should make them too. But we, we also noticed, uh, Joe from, from our army gig, he was like, what's the angle? What's the catch here? So you were just trying to save him a lot of mistakes as him as an athlete. And he's like, well, what are you selling me here? And you're like, no, I'm providing direction. Do not do this because I made that mistake. Yeah. And so there's right. another cost. Well, uh, but, you know, and I, I talked at pretty good length. We just taught a seminar for, uh, um, for the Army at uh, Fort Bragg for the, all last week. And uh, these guys are so used to people coming in and trying to sell them something. I'm like, hey, right. I'm going to sell you this, and I want you to do this because of this. And I, we came in, and we're like, we're not really – we have a terrible business model. Yeah. We have no, <laughs> like – and at the end of this, put you in your number or, or, you know, hey, we only do isometric contractions with max uh, with, with max force, so you're going to have to buy my $25,000, you know, multiple body isometric uh, machine. Like, we don't really have – like, we're not an equipment provider. We're not selling you nutrition. I'm not selling you anything. We're trying to sell you enlightenment, knowledge, and information so you can, you know, use it for performance. And the guy was like, well, you know, what's the catch? What are you selling? I'm like, nothing. The army's paying us. You just have to show up. And, let, and the guy like kept hounding me on it. Finally, I was like, dude, what are you trying to sell me? You know, like, like, and I went through this whole <laughs> kind of deal with it. I'm like, I'm selling you how to eat like a, a you know, performance-based diet off of real food. I don't sell beef. I, you know, and I went through the whole thing and I'm like, I don't even sell water. And I'm telling you to drink water. Like, I'm just trying to maximize your performance. Am I selling you performance? Sure. Yeah, but I mean, that's... Yeah, and there was, there was various segments where we're like, here's how you can do this with no equipment. Like, so we even unlocked some of our tips and tricks like, hey, you don't have a barbell if you're out and you're, you know, uh, you're have at least a training partner. Here's what you do just with fucking another buddy to really fucking drive things up. And they're like, hmm, like, I wish I had a dimpled fucking ball to sell you that was scientifically proven to unlock your, your butthole or whatever. But we don't have that. Well, no, we do. We have a bunch of them. They're called supernovas and we can't oh. give them the fuck away. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to have to lash you next time on those. Every time I see you, I'm actually, I know what I'm getting you. Uh, Luke, hey, I got you. I, uh, I told you, man. So here's what we <laughs> can do. Three, Bert, when you come out here, so Bert's going to be out here for, for the long haul, I believe. Uh, maybe we finally put together a video. Bring fucking Doobie with you. Bring Josh. We'll get some video content and we'll finally do supernova trap shooting. Oh, uh, okay. Well, no, I, one better. So it'll be, it'll be, it'll be lob a pitch. So you lob the supernova. Somebody has a baseball bat. Fucking rips no. a dinger, and then you got a fucking bull. Boom! Uh, I got one better. There was, that, loop. there was that range out in uh, Marble Falls that you, if you should, like, they, I think they have a, I, I forgot the range we the shot. Copperhead? Like, yeah, so they have a, like, a hundred yard range where you can sight your rifle. It, you just have to shoot a three shot group within, I think it's like an inch, um, just a three shot group within an inch. And if you shoot that, you can qual, and I think they have steel out to 800 at their advanced nice. range. So I went out there and the guy's like, yeah, he's got to just shoot me a three shot group with like, you know, within an inch. And I'm like, okay. So, you know, you need at least, let's say a, a, a one MOA weapon or the ability to shoot one yeah. sub, sub, you yeah. know, at least one yeah. MOA. Which, which is, they don't grow on trees. No, but I mean, if you, if you come out there. I've seen, with, you, I've seen you shoot, John. <laughs> you know, oh, really? just, to, just to throw this one down, I fucking heard that shot hit that animal. I fu- either that or I hit the dirt, but I'm fucking positive <laughs> I hit the animal. I fucking heard the thump, and I thought I saw the animal go down. I racked to try to get another one, and then we walked out there, and I'm like, where the fuck is that animal? Now, and it wasn't a far shot. Like, what was that, like a yeah. 175? Like, that wasn't, I mean, for a 300, yeah. I mean, I think that was a 300 short mag you have. Like, that's a fucking yeah. chip shot. Like, you don't miss fucking at sub 200. With well, the, Bert doesn't miss. Yeah. Right. You. 
Well, the royal, the, the yeah. singular. So, uh, long story short, uh, <laughs> what we could do is we could bring out our large collection of supernovas that we can't give away. Other than, and the hilarious part is we've been trying to sell them, but the people that contact us are really fucking douchey, and we don't sell it to them. We could take all those and we could set them up with like little faces, i.e., like at the accountant, and we could put them onto a long range. We could bring out like you know suppressed three hundred wind mag or whatever Bert's got, and we could shoot for fucking distance on those motherfuckers. I'm down with that. All right, I'm go, dude. Uh, did did you just get a new rifle? I think I saw. I was creeping on your Instagram. Uh, yeah, I, I got it last year, and I just really got it uh, set up. Is this um, a uh, Christensen Arms uh, carbon yeah. fiber barrel? Yeah, that thing is freaking dope, man. What? Uh, um, and and you? I think you went. You said you went with a three hundred rum. Three hundred, yeah, Remington Ultra Mag. It is a beast, toy. It's a freaking laser gun. Um, Twenty-six inch shoots, barrel. 26 inch barrel. Yeah. It's about a seven pound rifle, but it's, it's, it's what, you know, with a carbon fiber barrel, it's kind of after going up and down this freaking mountains in uh, Montana last year, I was like, "Ah, I'm going to get something that could shoot further and it's lighter than this. So yeah, Christensen arms made in uh, Utah. Awesome stuff. Uh, stuff. custom. Yeah. And, um, got it. I did a lot of research Been trying to look at a super long range shooting gun, um, you know, rifle, uh, for years and doing my, doing my research. You know, I was thinking about the 338 Lapua and, um, when I went with the rum, cause it's a bit cheaper to shoot and a little bit more normal, um, you know, stuff that you could do with it. Uh, it doesn't have the recoil as the rum and under about eh, 12, 1300 yards is basically the same thing. And I'm not that good. So, um, so I went with that. And Does it, uh, it, it'll consistently make shot. I mean, have you ever, sh- have you shot out to 12 or 1300 with it? I have not yet. Um, I haven't, it's, uh, it, I've certainly shot it at a hundred, just, just getting it grouped and, and breaking in the barrel, but it shoots really, really good. Like I put a, I put a nine shot group at a hundred yards with three different bullet weights and about 0.7. Wow. Um, so it, it shouldn't shoot that well, but it does. Um, so I'm pretty fired up about it. So I'm getting, uh, loophole did the, the scope up for me. I'm getting some things tweaked on it. I think I'm taking it to, uh, going to Alaska, uh, September 25th through 30th. Uh, Zach Brown and I are going out there and I think we're going to maybe try to go after a couple, a couple furry creatures. And so I think I'm going to take the laser gun with me. Nice. Yeah. No, uh, um, nothing suppressed. You're not going to run a suppressor or anything. I can screw it off uh, and put my my silencer co on it, um, mm-hmm. but the it, right now it has that muzzle brake on it, which makes it loud as crap. And sure. that that concussion, it'll it'll literally uh, almost knock over the spotting scope if it's beside me on, on oh, the no uh, bench. Uh, the concussion coming out the side, but it shoots really well with it. Um, but I don't know if I'm going to run it suppressed because that'll put that that barrel at about 36 inches. You know, I've been looking be for uh, like a pole ball uh, pole. I've been looking for a uh, like a shorty 308, like a, a 16 inch barrel that I can put the suppressor on. Yep. So, um, but the problem that we have, at least in our uh, in our neck of the woods, is the trees are so thick that mm. uh, even the night vision. I mean, and the animals only come out at dark, so there's got to be like some thermal, and and then there's got to be some light, you know, because like you know, you throw like a suppressor in there, and all of a sudden, the sucker's so long that it's un- almost unmanageable. Yeah. Yeah, I have the uh, Remington 700, that little tack sniper rifle. That I think it's about a 16 and a half inch barrel. It's a 308. Put a Manners folding stock on. I got him to build me a stock. Badass. And um, yeah, it's it's really cool. I got a, a nice loophole with a horse 58 reticle on it. But I used the can on that. It's it's great. I killed I killed one deer with it last year. 
but the same thing it's it's this nice little shorty but once you add 10 inches of can on there you're back up to a relatively long rifle um but it's badass because i could pack it i could uh break it down and pack it up and and it it shoots sub minute groups but 0.6 groups yeah my um, um my buddy joe has a christensen's arm he has a 300 wind mag with like a 26 inch with a carbon fiber and i shot it i could not believe how light it was yeah so yeah, like that's I, what they do best man yeah that carbon fiber barrel i think weighs like two and a half pounds opposed to more like mm-hmm. a standard you know four or five so it's pretty amazing that they're able to wrap it and do that so that's a bet that's yeah. a bitching gun Heat, heat dissipation as well. So uh, it, it is stiffer, but it also has a heat dissipation. So you get more more online shots uh, that barrel doesn't heat up. So it's been awesome so far. I've only put about 20 rounds through it. The, what, the break-in uh, period is just about done. What's the range on the optic? Like a 5 to like 22, something like that? Uh, I've known to run a 3 to 18 by 44, um, running mill, dot, or mill reticle on it, and uh, work with the guys at Loophole over there, and they, they got it set up for me. Just and, a name uh, dropper. Look at him. I'm working with the guys and Zach Brown. I'm going and shooting with him. So, <laughs> well, they, they, hey, I like people that do good stuff. I know, I know. Hey, man, I'm, <laughs> Tom, I'm jealous. Tom Brady, Belichick. <laughs> yeah. Uh, did I ever tell you about the time? No, that's that's badass. No, the uh, it's it's kind of funny. Like um, I was telling Luke the other day, we were out and um, I knew something's up because uh, about four o'clock in the afternoon, which is part of the, about the hottest time here in Texas. Um, we were sitting uh, at our kitchen table and I look out and I can see uh, uh, my daughter's like, oh, there's deer out there. And we look and there's like a pretty good sized doe comes out and then a little smaller doe. And then we saw a baby and I was like, oh, wow, that's a big doe. And then all of a sudden I see this big buck and he nice. only came out to where I could see like half of him. Like he was kind of his body was kind of but all of a sudden he turned and dude, I saw a, a big, you know, like big rack. At least I could spot five points. And so, of course, I run like get the binoculars. And, um, and then of course I got to answer all the ba- all the birds and the bees. Like, why is there a daddy? Why are there two mommies and a baby? <laughs> and I'm like, and it just was kind of a, it's like today, uh, trying to explain to my daughter that the, uh, the mommy deer and, and the daddy deer meet in the rut and, right. you know, and I kind of spring break. To, yeah, basically. And then like, and how the office, and then of the, the baby deer comes, but then she couldn't figure out why the, well, why is the daddy not around? And we got into like this whole dead, she, deadbeat buck dads pretty much. And, uh, and, and, <laughs> and that's was, why we have to take them uh, out. It was, it, it was like one of those conversations. And then I wasn't giving her the information she wanted. So then therefore she got kind of frustrated and pissed. And then at that point she, she was like, kind of like pretty upset with me. And I was like, do I enter into the birds and the bees conversation? Cause uh, I was like, well, they get together and they hang out and then a baby comes and she's like, well, how does that happen? And I'm like, Oh God, I don't want to get into a five year old. But, uh, and then my wife's like, you know, we haven't had the birds and the bees. I'm like, they're five. Let's let them believe in the stork for a couple more years. But, uh, yeah, you know, we spotted exactly. And, and what's crazy is from my back porch. I mean, what do you think that is? 200 yards, maybe 225 across to that, uh, that clearing on the other side of the Creek. 300. Yeah. Maybe 300. 300. Yeah. I mean, it's uh, like, and the, the hilarious part is it, he was out in the middle of the day, which I'd never seen them. It's either, wow. uh, it's either dusk or, or, or uh, you know, daybreak. And to see them out that time, I'm like, oh, man, this is – but, of course, we'll never Heck see yeah. him again, you know. But no, no, we'll but you, you go ahead and put a sandbag on the porch, though. Yeah. Well, actually, what I'm, I, I actually <laughs> know exactly where we're going to set up the feeder. And I'm like, okay, we got a tree stands, interlocking fields of fire. We'll be okay. Hey, so the rut down in Texas is around December 8th, wouldn't you say? I would think that should be right around the rut. I might need to check on that, but I know that it's right after. I know it's in uh, bow season starts in late October, early November. Then I want to see the rifle starts in November. 
Hey, well, I think I might be in Texas right around your area during that I time. think you should. I think you definitely yeah, well, should. There we, should you go. To, uh, we should try to put something together. It would be fun to go do. <laughs> what, uh, Luke's actually looking up this pertinent mm-hmm. information. Breeding age I can, range from I can the, miss with one of your November rifles. to February. <laughs> Eastern <laughs> part of the area, uh, the peak is the 16th, while the west is the 24th. So it might be, I don't know, if, it doesn't really say central in this little summary here, but we'll have to, uh, we'll have to figure that out. Cool. Yeah, for sure. Well, hey, Bert. Thanks, man. So I did have one more note. Uh, When Bert was talking about uh, the monolith and the purpose, and I had a flashback to watching Fred Hatfield squat 1,000 pounds. And I was like, did he have a mono? Did he not have a mono? No, he did not. No, he walked it. So no, I, no, he, yeah, exactly. no, he didn't walk it out. What I got the video right Well, here. the first attempt, they he actually, didn't walk it out. They actually, he stood up and they took the racks out from underneath him. Ah. And then but, he, but that wasn't, go ahead, Tex. So just for the video of the thousand that we pulled out here, he walked that back. He out, did he walk that. Backed one. it out, stepped it out, set up in, I would argue, the power athlete squat. Well, when he, he talked about this in our yeah. last talk to me, Johnny, uh, on the long road, is he, his first attempt, he pulled it out, and it wasn't against the rules. But after that exact lift, before the meet was over, they amended the rules that you couldn't do that, so that lift didn't count, and they let him retake it. So after I, he... Yeah, yeah. After he hit, it was like his third third time doing it when it finally counted for some reason. I, I can't well, remember the details. They also but, misloaded the bar. Was that what it was? Yeah, that's they. So they misloaded the bar. So he thought he was going for like I want to say a thousand twenty six or something. He he had in his mind he was going to hit X, and they didn't put enough weight on, and that was his third attempt, which he blew up. And so he's so excited, thinking he hits it. And when they went to count the weights, they realized they had not loaded the bar properly. So he was just, he was supposed to hit four hundred and sixty kilos or something. I think I forgot what it was, but he had a number they wanted to hit, and they misloaded it. The late great. Hatfield, man, that was yeah. one of the best fucking well, talks. That's, that, that's kind of the last that public was. interview he did. Mm-hmm. So Before I mean, went yeah. to the went to the Iron Gates. So that that interview is on our our YouTube channel. I'm surprised here. What? Just 1,500 views. It needs to be 15,000. 15 million. Yeah. I guess just you know some schlub like me and rapping with a with a legend like Fred Hatfield just doesn't get enough play. Well, the uh, the yeah. first comment here by Zach Mudd, he said he likens it to. He said this is one of the most amazing interviews he's ever seen. He likens it to his him talking to his grandfather. Just an organic Very cool. kind of learning experience. Who, John? No, Zach's, oh. Zach <laughs> watching John. John, so John's the grandfather. You're that old? I am, I am. Or is Mud that young? No. Hey, you know what? And Bert, we, didn't, we never heard the story between you and Double A. What's the deal? Yeah, who's Oh, this? right. Oh, shit. Um, okay, yeah, so Double A, we were competing. He was... Uh, I was kind of more of the hammer thrower. He was the shot put guy. So, but in the 35 pound weight, we were just about the same distance at that time when I was young in my career and before he'd really taken off in the shot. So we were both around 60 feet with a 35 pound weight. So, you know, I would always generally beat him in the hammer. He'd beat me in the shot. And then the 35, we would get down and, and, and rock a little bit. And then, uh, he kind of started specializing more. He ended up winning a national champion, uh, national championship in the shot. And uh, competing against my roommate, who was winning a bunch of them, and, and he upset him one day and, and, uh, and got it. Awesome for double A. And then I went into more of the hammer. And as I got better to the 35 pound weight, double A didn't want any of this. Oh, <laughs> it's out there, people. Well, you know why? He's pretty wild. But double A only threw the shot like 20 feet further. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, when you're that wide, you really don't want to throw the hammer. It's so much rotational mass. I mean, his head. Right. I mean, 
You know, the, the, the radius has, on the triangular. Well, I was going to say his head is so small compared to his body that he doesn't have it to offset. So you need a like a great like Luke's head so much bigger than his body. Uh-huh. He probably actually be a big good thrower, yeah. uh, you know, they, thrower because it might actually tip the earth off its axis. Uh, r- rotational mass is what they call me on the dance floor. <laughs> is <laughs> that your nickname? Yeah. College. That's double, my nickname double. in college. <laughs> Double A has like his head and both shoulders. He looks like the three sisters together. When he's, <laughs> I was like, I was like, dude, he, his head stud, is. It, it, I, I seriously thought somebody photoshopped Beetlejuice on him. I'm like, dude, this is a Beetlejuice head. And then the best is I said, and everybody's like, yeah. And then of course Ed Costner, <laughs> no, there's other people that are wider than him. I'm like, oh, here we go. Ed. Good, good head voice too. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but uh, people, if you are not plugged into Bert. Follow him on Instagram, at Bert Soren. Follow Sorenex. Get on Sorenex. If you're looking for a fucking killer set of equipment, check out Sorenex exercise equipment. I don't know. I mean, that seems like common sense to me, right? I mean, I like to think about the Sorenex uh, as something that I'm pretty sure my kids will get. Mm-hmm. Like, they'll be like, oh, um, do you need a gym? Ah, my dad bought this Sornik stuff back in, like, 2017. We still got it. And you know what? It looks the same. It hasn't yeah. aged. So that's why I always joke. I'm like, I don't know if this is a good product. Nobody ever has to rebuy this shit. Yeah, you know? we're, we'll we'll be out of business momentarily. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I was thinking about that. Like all of a sudden, like twenty years from now, people are like, "I got all this Ornex stuff. The schools are just, just unloading still, it." You know, yeah, it's still around. What's this crap? <laughs> you know, because if you go into an old like college weight room, everything's beat to shit and all this, and it's like, I don't know if we're gonna beat beat this stuff up. Like, I mean, I still want to know what they did with all that shit we had at Cal. So, what did you guys do with all that when they went to go get rid of all that stuff? Hey, we walked into a clean room, man. Yeah, they, was, that was on. That was on them. Yeah, they probably built all the homeless people houses with it. That's awful. <laughs> no problem. Well, thanks, Bert. I appreciate it, brother. Thanks for yeah, taking I can't wait to come down and see you guys and train with you. Sounds all great. Right. We'll see Beautiful. you in December. Later, brother. Yes, sir. Later, Thank man. you. Now it's time for you to empower your performance. You can find Bert Soren and Sorenex on Instagram. Just follow their names, respectively. Or if you're attending Power Athlete Symposium in December... You can uh, call bullshit on his grip strength and shake his hand in person. Speaking of the symposium, did you neglect to buy tickets for the Power Athlete Symposium? Well, shame on you. The good news is that you can still support the cause, which of course is Wade's Army. That is our charity that fundraises to support the families of children who are stricken with neuroblastoma. If you didn't know, this devastating form of pediatric cancer is underfunded and therefore under-researched. Get involved and help the little ones out by going to wadesarmy.org. There you can start your own campaign, make a donation, and get your very own Wade's Army uniform. Until next time, bye!